This is episode 111 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Kelly Salmon. She is an SLP specializing in the treatment of adults with communication and swallowing disorders across the continuum of care. She's been a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders since 2011 and earned designation in 2014 as a Lymphology Association of North America Certified Lymphedema Therapist, specializing in the treatment of head and neck lymphedema. Over the past several years of her career, Kelly has focused on becoming an expert in the treatment of swallowing disorders resulting from many medical conditions, including head and neck cancer, stroke, and progressive disease. The evaluation and treatment of head and neck lymphedema has also become a focused area of clinical practice for Kelly over the last five years. She's also passionate about working with individuals undergoing total laryngectomy to rehabilitate and restore communication and swallowing function throughout the various stages of survivorship. Kelly earned her bachelor's degree in speech pathology and audiology through Stockton University in New Jersey, her master's degree in speech pathology at NYU, and recently completed her clinical doctorate in speech speech language pathology at Nova Southeastern University in 2018. She completed a research study examining swallowing-related outcomes for individuals undergoing specialized robotic surgery for head and neck cancer as part of her applied dissertation. Kelly takes pride in contributing to the field of speech-language pathology through teaching and supervising graduate-level students, presenting posters and courses at national conferences, and engaging in multidisciplinary research initiatives. She's currently transitioning from full-time clinical practice to the academic setting as an assistant professor at Salis University. She is also working towards establishing a private practice focusing on consulting services, speaking engagements, and the treatment of complex dysphagia, head and neck lymphedema, and management of issues unique to individuals post-laryngectomy. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, everybody. Oh my God, I'm out of breath reading (laughs) Kelly's bio. Oh my gosh, she's so amazing though. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on this episode. You guys are going to love this episode. And this is actually a two-part one um, because we kind of talk about two totally different things. Um, So we split this one up into two parts. So this first episode is all about her conquest for obtaining alphabet soup after her name, but it's a great episode. And Kelly, fortunately enough, is one of our mentors in the MedSLP Collective. She answers so many amazing questions all about head and neck cancer, laryngectomy. Oh, she helps us with a ton of topics, but um, she's so knowledgeable. And I'm so grateful to have her on our team helping everybody out. And if anybody is looking to join the MedSLP Collective, we are reopening on December 9th. Um, so actually, if you happen to go to the ASHA convention, we just might happen to have a booth there that you could possibly register at two. But if you're not going to the convention, then December 9th is the day to mark down your calendars that we will be reopening the collective. If you are not sure what the MedSLP Collective is, it's just this amazing community that I created a while ago that has just taken on a life of its own because of the so many wonderful, wonderful 
clinicians, students, researchers that are all involved in making it is what it is. And it's a monthly membership site where each week we give you a new resource in the form of a handout or a video, and it is on a topic that is requested by the members. So each resource is written by someone in our field. It could be a researcher, it could be an expert clinician, and then it is blind peer reviewed by our wonderful panel of PhD researchers that help us to make sure that all the information is accurate. So you get one of those each week. We also have a monthly webinar that is registered for ASHA CEUs. It's live. So if you need that live credit for your state, we have that. And then it also does go in as a recording too. So you can watch it as a recorded webinar and get CEUs for that. We also have a private Facebook group and a private forum if you're not on Facebook. So if you want to get some questions, clinical questions, ask some, ask for some advice on a different way than using Facebook, we have a private forum. We have over 25 different mentors in all areas of medical speech pathology that are there to answer all of your questions, provide you with the research. It's just, it's amazing. <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I'm obviously extremely biased about it, but um, I love it and I could not be more proud of what it's turned into and all of the wins that all of our members share are just amazing with the progress that they've made in their facilities with their patients and I just love, 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 love <laughs> seeing all this come to life. So if you're interested in joining us, medslpcollective.com to get on the waiting list or mark your calendar for December 9th when we will be opening the doors again. Good morning, Kelly. Hi, Teresa. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm very excited. Got some big footsteps to follow in today, but... Um... I know, I know. It's terrifying <laughs> some days. I know. <laughs> it's okay. We all belong here, so... Awesome. All right. So tell the people a little bit about yourself. So my name is Kelly Salmon, and I have been a speech pathologist now for about 17 years, which always sounds kind of crazy to say because I feel like I just finished grad school not that long ago, but I have put together a pretty awesome career over the past 17 years. I really have focused in uh, working with adults, and I knew even starting in grad school that working in the medical setting was where I wanted to be, so I set forth and made that my goal over the years, so had an opportunity to work with adults across pretty much the entire continuum of care from acute care to acute inpatient rehab, outpatient, a little bit of, <clears throat> excuse me, long-term care, long-term acute care. So I've had an opportunity to see patients across the board and over the years find my niche and find my specialty area working with dysphagia and further specializing to spend a lot of my time working with people who have been diagnosed with head and neck cancer. Well, and it probably feels like you've been in school for 17 years because you keep accumulating letters after your name. So yeah, this is this is true. My my fam <laughs> my my family lovingly calls it the alphabet soup after my name. Um, yeah. Always got something I'm working towards. <laughs> yes, that's great. All right. Well, we've got a lot to talk about today, Kelly. So what do you what do you want to start with? Yeah, so when I first started my career, I definitely started out as a generalist in speech pathology, working in outpatient, and then I 
had to move across the country from New Jersey to San Diego, California to get my first job in a, an acute hospital setting. And I remember during that particular interview process, one of the questions was the age old, you know, where do you see yourself five years from now? Um, which is always a hard question when you're first starting out in your career and you don't really know what you want to do yet or what you might want to specialize in. So I remember at the time, you know, I said something along the lines that, you know, five years from now, I hope to be a clinician that others look up to and maybe someday be a name that, that stands out in the field. So that's kind of where my journey had started. And over the course of the years, I really became passionate about treating patients with dysphagia. And this was across the board from, you know, patients with acute strokes in the inpatient setting to rehabilitating dysphagia in progressive neurologic disease. And then eventually I found my path in head and neck cancer. But along the lines, I made one of my first goals to achieve board certification in swallowing. And um, I applied for that about five or six years, with five or six years experience um, in the field. And I, I did not get accepted that first time. And I think, you know, people um, don't want to admit when, when they, they don't get accepted that first time. But, but I got some really good feedback on, you know, areas where I needed to kind of expand and venture out with leadership and and doing continuing professional education. So I got some really good feedback and uh, it took about a year and a half to build on those um, credentials and, and the things that they were asking for. And I reapplied. And then the, the second time my application was accepted and then I passed the exam. And so that started my um, journey in terms of getting more credentials. So the, the first credential I earned was my BCS and um, I was, super proud of that and, you know, pushed my colleagues to do the same because I think it's really important to be recognized for our passions. I agree. I, I think it's, it's been one of probably the best things that I've ever done, to be honest. Like people say, is it worth it? And I say 100%, I think so. So yeah. um, what, one thing I want to point out, Kelly, that's interesting. You said that the feedback they gave you was that you needed more leadership skills and more kind of things outside of your facility. And I think that's you know, without talking, diving too far into the application process, I think that's kind of the number one thing that people get feedback about is like, I applied, but I got denied. But they said that it's because I haven't done much outside of, you know, my facility. And, and that's kind of the whole premise, I think, behind the BCS is that they want you advocating for dysphagia, educating patients, advocating to other professions about dysphagia. So, you know, people are like, well, look, at I've done 67 things in my facility. And it's like, it's great. But the entire premise is that you've got to do some more outreach outside of it. So anybody that's thinking of applying, just know that. <laughs> yeah, so. definitely. And, and it was a good push for me because I had done a lot in, in my facilities and maybe even locally going to other local hospitals and rehab centers to, to talk. But at, at the time I first applied, maybe I didn't have that confidence that I could present elsewhere. Um, but that kind of pushed me to you know, step outside of my comfort zone. And I actually started with doing a poster presentation at ASHA. And, you know, people think you have to have done some type of, you know, experimental study or randomized controlled trial to 
you know, do a presentation. But what I had done is <clears throat> I just had a unique patient on my rehab unit who had a diaphragmatic pacer, which was kind of new at the time, and there wasn't much out there about it. So I wrote her up as a, a case study and, and presented that. So it can start as simple as, as sharing a case that you worked with that was interesting. Yeah. Oh, I love that you said that so much. There's someone that I'm working with now that she just can't come out of her introverted shell, you know, and the, and the concept of like presenting a two hour talk is just terrifying. And I was like, start with a poster presentation. She's like, really? I was like, yes, it's enough to just get you out there and get talking to people. And it's just, I think even those are just so exciting and it just builds your confidence that, okay, this isn't so bad. Like, <laughs> oh, for sure. And now that I've done, you know, two hour lectures and things like that, I actually love those poster sessions because that's, that's where you get to talk to people one-on-one -on -one and you get people coming up to you and saying, oh, that's really interesting. I had a patient just like this and, and here's what I saw. So you, you get to learn from each other um, in a different way. All right. So what's next in alphabet soup? All right. So next up is, um, is my certified lymphedema therapist credentials. So, um, awesome. Yeah. I know a lot of people have been asking about that. Yeah. So, so I, I always love talking about this because it was really born out of necessity. When I started treating a lot of patients with head and neck cancer, I would get a lot of referrals to treat these patients, um, for their swallowing problems. And, maybe we'll talk a little bit more later about, you know, using different modalities to treat these patients. But, you know, one of the biggest barriers to me considering things like surface EMG for biofeedback or potentially considering um, electrical stimulation was that these patients had all of this edema and swelling of the submental space and the anterior neck. I even had some patients who had quite a bit of facial swelling that was affecting their lips and others where the swelling was so bad, their eyes were half shut. And so for these patients, I couldn't even really think about some of the other modalities that I would normally introduce until this swelling was under better control. You know, it certainly didn't mean I, I couldn't treat them, but I would, my options were just more limited. So when I saw some, many of these patients coming through the door, you know, I started researching, well, you know, who am I going to send this patient to to address their lymphedema so that I can get the best outcomes possible for their swallowing? And what I found was even though my hospital was in a downtown area of a big city and you know a research hospital and many other great healthcare institutions in my town, that I was having a hard time finding someone comfortable treating head and neck lymphedema. And when it comes to lymphedema therapy, traditionally it's a physical therapist or an occupational therapist or sometimes a licensed massage therapist who is trained as a certified lymphedema therapist. But most of them, they're very comfortable treating the extremities. So they're comfortable treating lymphedema of the arms or legs in patients who've had breast cancer or cancer of the abdomen and other organs. So they're very well versed in arms and legs, but then when it comes to the head and neck and face, not everyone is comfortable or, or that's what I was finding at least, that I had a very limited number of people who were willing to attempt to treat head and neck lymphedema. So what I found out is that if I can't find someone, then maybe I should go and see if I can get trained. <laughs> so, um, 
So that's what I did. I started looking into the potential role of a speech language pathologist in, in treating head and neck lymphedema. And this was about, well, I got my certification five years ago, but I started thinking about it probably a year or two beforehand um, as I started to see more and more patients. So as I dug into the literature and kind of looking through maybe past ASHA presentations to see if anybody had been talking about it, um, I found uh, Brad Smith, who's a speech pathologist who also holds the certified lymphedema therapist uh, credentials. And at the time, he was one of only maybe two or three speech pathologists holding that particular credential. And so I reached out to him to ask questions, you know, how, how do you get trained? Um, am I on the right track in terms of going forward with looking into this? And so that's, that's how I got my start. I, I reached out to a mentor. I did a little bit of digging and research to see, you know, is it even possible for a speech language pathologist to earn this credential in a field where it's typically a PT or an OT or massage therapist? And then after speaking with him, I asked him, you know, what's the best way to go about this? Because when it comes to getting the certified lymphedema therapist credential, it's actually quite involved in terms of the continuing education component and the coursework that you have to do. So it's a 10-day continuing education event. So yeah, so I mean, it's over... It's 100 hours of in-person, hands-on time in the classroom. Um, and there's also work you have to do ahead of time online, so where you're really delving into the anatomy of the lymphatic system and kind of pre-work for the course. So it's pretty intense, and it's certainly not cheap certification. It's, it costs quite a bit of money. I applied for one, and I got one that actually covered about half of the cost. So that was super helpful, and they're, they're always out there with those scholarships. So just a small aside on that. Yeah, yeah. So when I talked to Brad, I said, you know, should I go for this full credential? You know, it, it seems pretty intense. Um, is, it, is it a good idea? Or there is also a two and a half day head and neck lymphedema focused course that he actually teaches through the Norton School. So I asked his advice. And, and what he said is, you know, if you want to dive right in and start treating patients um, with head and neck lymphedema, you will learn everything you need to know in this two and a half day head and neck lymphedema focused course. And that course is open to speech language pathologists and it's also open to PTs and OTs who are already certified lymphedema therapists. So um, his advice was to go for head and neck lymphedema, dive right in, you'll know everything you need to know to treat your patients. But if you want more of an in-depth knowledge and working on the inner workings of the lymphatic system, then by all means, you know, go for the uh, full credential. And me, I am definitely a type A speech pathologist. And if I go, go in on something, I go all in. So I actually decided to go for the full certified lymphedema therapist training first. So I, I did that. And I tell everyone, you know, it's definitely no joke. You know, it's, it's 10 days of continuing education. You will likely be the only speech language pathologist in the room. Everyone else will be a PT, an OT, or a massage therapist. But I, I learned so much and it, it definitely challenged me. It definitely pushed me outside my comfort zone. You know, those PTs and OTs in the labs that they do in grad school, they're, 
they're used to, you know, being in their sports bras and their basketball shorts and they're, they, they're doing all sorts of hands-on stuff. And we don't learn a lot of that at all in, in our practice in grad school. So it was really great for me to, to have that opportunity to learn from my interdisciplinary colleagues. So I encourage people, like, if you really want to get that in-depth knowledge, and not just for the letters, but just to really have a, a deeper understanding of the lymphatic system, then it's, it's definitely worthwhile. I guess I think there's, I can just think off the top of my head, there's, I feel like a few things in our field that really should require a 10-day in-depth mm-hmm. training course for. Yeah. Like, it's kind of scary, some of the things that we can do, and, and not that we deserve to know more and our patients deserve to know more. Like we deserve to dive into this stuff much more in depth and extensively than kind of just a, you know, one or two day intro course. So yeah, I agree. I agree for sure. Yeah. Those credentials definitely mean something and and that you've taken that extra time to really dive in and, and learn all you can learn about a certain thing, whether that's a modality or a hands-on treatment method or a certain treatment approach. um, I think it does mean a lot to be able to spend that extra time and and do it. Um, So let me ask you, Kelly, so you said it was just like a 10-day general lymphedema with OTs and PTs. So forgive me if this is like a really stupid question because I'm not familiar with this stuff at all, but were you, was it easily transferable, I guess, to the head and neck? Or did you require even more extensive training? Because I just think the head and neck muscles are just so, they're not these big, long quadriceps. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I just think that it, just, just asking if, if you felt like you were able to easily apply it or not. Yeah. So I would say, you know, based on the 10 day course, you, you learn quite a bit. I mean, the, the biggest component of managing lymphedema is the manual lymphatic drainage, which is the massage. And it's, it has a very specific technique in terms of the amount of pressure you're using, the different types of strokes that you're using, the sequence of the steps that you're going in. Um, so a lot of that is very much transferable, but you still need a little extra um, in terms of the head and neck specific course to learn a little bit more about how to apply that same thing that you're doing on an extremity to the musculature of the head and neck. Because like you said, not only are there complex muscles, but there's also a really rich vascular supply, not to mention our our carotids and the carotid sinuses. So those two. Yeah. So that's, you know, (laughs) that's why PTs and OTs, you know, sometimes shy away from the neck because they're like, oh, carotids. I don't want to, I don't want to touch that, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, we, we have in-depth knowledge of the head and neck. And so if we're doing things as we should, we're, we're really nowhere near that particular area. So um, I would say it's a great course, but you'll still want to attend the head and neck course because that's where you're going to learn the head and neck specific sequences. That's where you'll learn you know, how to bandage or, or use compression for the head and neck. So that's where you're going to get kind of the most hands-on knowledge. So, so I do agree with Brad's advice, of course, that, you know, if you want to get right into it, just take that head and neck specific course. And if it's something you're really passionate about and you want to learn more in depth, go for that, you know, full certified lymphedema therapist credential. Awesome. Well, thanks, Kelly. Sure. Just opened up a whole new world to me. Right? (laughs) Not that I'm that interested in that population, but I love certifications too. So absolutely. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what's next on our alphabet soup journey? So I guess maybe we can talk about my doctorate degree and and my pathway in terms of choosing uh, which way to go. 
so my most recent change in credentials was earning my SLPD degree back in September of 2018. It was a four-year journey to get my doctorate and it was worth every bit of time and, and money for me. Awesome. Love hearing that. Yeah. 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 So um, my journey was that when I finished grad school back in 2002, I remember even at that time, I was interested in, in maybe going further and, and getting my PhD. Um, and I went to a big university in New York City at NYU for my graduate school. And so I thought, you know, maybe I'll stay here and, and do a PhD. But the overwhelming advice I got at the time was, you know, don't jump right into doing your PhD. Go out into the field, work with patients and, and see what you're passionate about and come back when you're ready and, and do your PhD. And I, and I agree with that advice to a certain extent that you do have to have some idea of what patient populations or what conditions you're passionate about. But at the same time, that whole come back when you're ready thing is really difficult for, for most people. You know, once you start working and once you start paying off those student loans, it's hard to go back to being a student without, you know, an income to support yourself or support your families. I'm so glad you brought that up. I, I had kind of gotten the same advice. I was doing a master's thesis in child language. Mm -hmm. And I was like so close to just continuing on with my PhD. And even my mentor was like, please don't mm -hmm. like go work for a few years, you know, and I just think of now, like, if I had gone for my PhD in child language, what the heck would I be doing? Now? Sure, like, sure. Exactly. But yeah. But like you said, now on the flip side, I've been talking about going back and getting a PhD for probably five years now. And mm -hmm. I just it's hard with kids and family and sure. life and ah. Yep. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, and I don't know anyone that's hit the lottery, so so that makes it that makes it tough to again give up give up your lifestyle, give up your um, income to to go back and do that. So for me, I you know I had been in the field for thirteen years at the time I decided to get my doctorate and pursue the the clinical or professional doctorate and you know, it came down to a decision of, you know, wanting to pursue a, um, a higher degree, but still being able to engage in my clinical practice and still, you know, have my family life and, and not have to really give up too much to pursue this degree. So I'm not saying it was easy, you know, there's still certainly a lot of budgeting of time and, and coordinating everything to get your coursework done to work on your dissertation. So I decided in 2013 to apply for my program, and I ended up going with the SLPD program at Nova Southeastern University. And um, I know there's more programs out there now, which I think is great. And I, I always tell people, you know, asking for advice on, you know, how to choose a program. Most of them at this point are mostly uh, distance um, education programs, and they have some you know, on-campus component, but you can work on your degree from your home state, still keep your full or part-time or per diem job, and continue on with your family commitments. So I chose the program at Nova Southeastern, and I'm really incredibly thankful that I did. I met so, so many great people within my particular cohort. Everybody had different interests, different goals, working in different settings, and so it was really a great opportunity to build my network while at the same time building the skills that I wanted to 
achieve through pursuing the doctorate. So l- let me let me ask you like the million dollar question. Mm-hmm. Kind of what what did it for you in deciding I want to go SLPD instead of PhD? And it was it just you knew you wanted more just to stay with the clinical practice or was there anything more specific? Yeah, so for me, my big goal in pursuing the degree was to gain more knowledge in terms of, you know, developing and implementing clinical research. My work setting for the past four or five years has been uh, working in outpatient. I was embedded in an ENT clinic. And so I was working, you know, side by side with physicians from ENT, medical oncologists, radiation oncologists. So it's working with a lot of physicians. And I wanted to be a little bit more on level footing with, you know, being able to talk to them about things like clinical trials, or if I had an idea about a certain patient population, and, you know, was interested in doing some type of research, being able to be on more level footing with them so that I could present these ideas and, you know, have the vocabulary to back it up and, and the knowledge. So that was really my, my push or my primary motivation. And I know for others in my cohort, some of their goals were, you know, to get their doctorate. They were working in an educational setting in the schools, and they wanted to earn their doctorate in order to be able to move up to a different level in terms of administrative responsibilities. I had other colleagues who worked at universities, and they wanted to get their doctorate so that they could move up the ranks in terms of the academic world and others who were in clinical practice but wanted to transition to uh, the academic realm. So for me, it was really to kind of gain more knowledge to be on level footing with the interdisciplinary team I was working with. And then it actually ended up turning into moving towards the academic world myself. So that's kind of next up on the agenda in terms of talking about that transition. But it was just really a, a great opportunity to gain more knowledge. You know, the coursework certainly takes some of the same topics that you go through in grad school, but takes them you know, to the next level and really gets you in that mindset of, you know, doing the research, putting together a literature review, writing papers. So it really does prepare you for, for your clinical practice too. So you said it moved you into a new career change. Yeah. So like I said, I've been in the medical setting, working with adults for 17 years, and I've had some really amazing opportunities. And my most recent phase in terms of my job has been, again, working with physicians in an ENT clinic, side by side, you know, have the respect of the entire team. And it was really kind of a great experience. And it's been a dream job. And and I love all of my colleagues that I have worked with over the years. But you know, I reached a certain point where I felt like not, you know, I just felt like I needed to challenge myself in a different way. And so I made a tough decision after, you know, consulting with some of my peers and colleagues and mentors that I wanted to look into moving into the academic realm where I'd have an opportunity to mentor and teach and train kind of the next generation of speech language pathologists. So a couple months back, I decided to pursue an opportunity, take on an assistant professor position at a university nearby, close to home. And I went through that entire process and it was a challenge and it was scary because it was something I hadn't done before. 
But ultimately, I was offered the position and decided to take it. So I'll be starting real soon, um, my next journey in the uh, academic realm. Oh, that's awesome. Your students are so lucky to have you, Kelly. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for all the, the new stuff. It's, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what you're teaching yet? What courses? Yeah, actually. So, um, so this university, it's uh, Salus University, and they're um, located outside of Philadelphia. And um, they're a newer uh, graduate program. They do now have their full accreditation through the CAA. And I'll be coming on and taking on a couple courses that I've taught for them as an adjunct over the past year. So I'll be teaching some of the foundational science courses in anatomy. And the anatomy course has a cadaver lab component, which I think is awesome. so much fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> I never had that opportunity in grad school. No, I don't know many that have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's really a great a learning opportunity and a way to put, you know, all of those two-dimensional illustrations that you learn <laughs> or see in, in the classroom and, and actually see them um, in real life, so to speak. Um, so I'll be teaching anatomy, teaching neuroscience. So those two courses definitely keep me on my toes. And then luckily, I'll get to teach the dysphagia course um, and a motor speech course, and then kind of a special topics in speech pathology course where I'll have the opportunity to bring in some of my medical SLP experience for the students, you know, kind of get them oriented to that whole world. Sounds like you have your hands full, Kelly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. But you know, I, I my goal is always to make learning fun. And I think for me, at least having had the clinical experience that I've had over the years, I certainly have many, many examples of patients and families and situations to draw upon. So to me, my most memorable professors were the ones that could, you know, give me a patient example or show me a video of a patient they worked with and, and kind of put two and two together to make it make it real and not just something you're reading in a book. So that's always my goal is to, to try to bring that to my students as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with that method. I think that's kind of really what separates like the classes we found fascinating in grad school versus the ones that we hated going to, you know, and it's like the ones that people hated going to were just the textbook boring readings ones. And, you know, those are the areas that people don't want to go into, but people are drawn to the areas where it's like, oh, wow, this is what we really do. We really can make a difference in this field. So absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, I love that, Kelly. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Is that the end of the alphabet? I believe so for now. Okay. Okay. For now. For now. <laughs> <laughs> so if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.